This man is good. He's got like the key verse of the sermon in the prayer there. So the dude did his homework. I like that. I like that. Just focused on that grace. And you have given me a great gift of grace. I'm going to start this. They told me I have 30 minutes. That's right. Everybody's agreed with 30 minutes. You're all right with that? Okay. But there's no bell going off to tell me I should be done. But um, you've given me a great gift of grace because I, I get to come out here. I'm going to preach for three Sundays. So you all come back next week. You know, I'll take it personally if, like, it, the numbers are diminished because I don't want to hear that guy again. But, um, but the cool thing is I get to be with my grandson. Um, and that is amazing. And, and I came out on the day when the clocks changed. We fell back. So like I was up at 2 in the morning today because I'm coming from the East Coast. And I'm like, wake up, William. Wake up, William. When have you ever had that experience, Hillary? Yeah. <laughs> Hillary's my daughter here. Um, I'm glad, Mike, for being called the right reverend, which would be like an Episcopalian title. I'm a Reformed Church pastor, which is... Uh, denomination in the Reformed tradition with the Presbyterian Church. I'm actually third generation. Uh, old Smokey Joe Holbrook uh, came out of Westminster Seminary and pastored for 32 years in uh, New Jersey. Uh, then my dad, uh, Joe Holbrook, the second one, whose both of their middle names was Carlton, which is Tyler, my son-in-law's middle name. You staying with me? And now... My grandson is, uh, is Carlton as well. So there's these great connections. And I just shared with Tyler this morning. He's not here because William was sick last night, so he's not going to be here. But um, I was a head resident at Hope College with my wife. And we kind of shepherded 50 freshman boys, which was, which was tough. And whenever they wanted to get under my skin, instead of calling me Taylor, they would call me Tyler. Now my son-in-law's name is Tyler, and he said, I said to him today, did you ever get called Taylor? And he said, yeah, all the time. I don't know why people can't straighten those two things out, but Tyler Carlton, Taylor Holbrook, here I am. I'm so glad to be here. And Stephen asked me um, if I would do a series on, on giving, on giving. And traditionally, November, that's kind of the... The, the point that you do that, um, and, and maybe sometimes you want to bring a guest speaker in because it's, it's easier to, to, to have somebody else speak about money. Uh, and I have this woman in my church, the joke about upstate, we're 50 miles north of New York City. So if you're in the Hudson Valley, you don't say it's upstate New York. You know, you, you, you say it's like the greater metropolitan area, but people in New York City say, oh, you live upstate. And it's kind of like, in Hickville, you know, but uh, in my church in Hopewell Junction, New York, every time I'd preach on money, a dear old saint of the church would come walking out and she said, you did a really good job with that, with a really tough subject. I'm like, why is this tough? Jesus talked about money more than any other thing outside of the kingdom of God. So money is something that we should be able to talk about. So I did a talk on generosity a couple weeks ago, and the pastor said, Taylor, make it fun. Make it fun. You know, he said, like, do you have a game or something that we can do? I said, I don't know that I have a game, but we'll try to make it fun. So you ready for some fun today? All right. So we're, we're going to 2 Corinthians. Uh, just let me set the stage a little bit. Here's, here's a church that's just beginning 
you know, and, and they haven't really set up the structures on how they're going to fund this, what they're going to do. And, and Paul is writing to Corinth, which is a fairly wealthy community. So these people have some dough. But he's bringing to them the story of the Macedonian Christians. Now, this is Philippi and Thessalonica. You may know those letters from the New Testament. But these were persecuted churches that were in poor areas, that were having a really hard time. So Paul's taking the model of Macedonia, and he's sharing it with the wealthier Corinthians and saying, here we go, let's step up to the plate here. But the real beauty of this is that, that these are all Gentile Christians, and, and if a Gentile basically is someone who's a non-Jew, and if you know anything about the New Testament, uh, church, there was a division between these non-Jewish Christians and the blue bloods back in Jerusalem that were, were Jewish Christians. And there was a famine in Jerusalem. Um, so the Jewish Christians are under the gun financially and, and with food. So do you understand the beauty of what's going on here? Those who were the outcast, the no good, the outsiders are now supporting the blue bloods, the insiders. This is the church of Jesus Christ. You know, things are getting turned upside down and God is doing a new work here. So let's listen to the word of God as it comes to us from 2 Corinthians. Your bulletin just goes through uh, the fifth verse. I'm actually gonna read through the 15th verse. So if you wanna call it up on your phone, I think you use the uh, English Standard Version here. So I'm reading from that. Uh, but hear the word of the Lord as it comes to us from 2 Corinthians. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in earnestness and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, 
but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. That there may be fairness, as it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Thanks be to God for this is holy word. Amen. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your money or your life. A gun is stuck in the chest of comedian Jack Benny. And a burglar says, your money or your life. Jack Benny, a comic that was known for being particularly, particularly miserly, doesn't say anything. And the burglar says again, I'm serious, your money or your life. And he says, hold on, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. Now I've got to do a little caveat with that illustration because a couple years ago my uh, kids got me Spotify and they said, dad, you got to update your illustrations from music. Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen are just not the cutting edge anymore. How many of you know who ba Jack Benny is? All right, all right, we have a few hands. I mean, that was a black and white clip that we could have played today, but uh, I must confess that I've got more in common with Jack Benny, probably, than I do with Jesus. Because Jesus says, your money or your life. On the Sermon on the Mount, he says, you cannot serve two masters, for you will love the one and hate the other, you cannot serve God and money. Now, I wish, I wish Jesus said, it's really hard to balance the two, right? I mean, it's hard to balance the two. I wish Jesus said, it's, it's, it's a challenge, it's a challenge, but you got to work at it. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. And Jesus speaks this from the one who has come to show us not the guilt of what it means to live under the law, but the freedom of what it means to be fully alive and fully human, living under the grace of God. And so when we talk about generosity, I don't start with the first G of guilt and say, okay, let me start pounding the people this morning. I start with the first thing of grace, because that's where it all begins. That's what Paul says. And, and I think everybody in this room today wants to be considered a generous person. I know you're a Presbyterian church, but can I get like an amen to that? You know, like, <laughs> am I speaking right? Or do some of you want to be known as Jack Benny? And my daughter Hillary could testify. I mean, I'm going to be called out on every one of these three sermons. I'm going to talk about uh, living grace, living gifts, and finally living giving. Because she knows, like, these are the pants. I asked her today, I said, when I baptized William, I wore these pants. You think anybody will know? And she said, no, Dad, I don't think anybody will know. And I said, well, that's good because I'm going to wear these pants all three weeks because I'm... <laughs> I'm too cheap to like pay for the extra bag on the flight, so I got to pack really light. My bag was stuffed yesterday, and these pants were very wrinkled, but they're the only ones I have, so uh, get, get used to these pants. But, but I've touched people 
who are generous. And I know when I see that, I say, that's what I want from my life. Um, I was working with a seminary student in our church. Uh, this was about two months ago or so. And, and we walked into Daddy O's restaurant, a restaurant that we go to often. And there sitting, having lunch up at the bar was um, a bus driver from our congregation. Uh, she's a divorced woman. I know that she doesn't have great resources and walked by and we said hello and we walked out to the deck and we ate. When we finished up, Lori, the waitress, came and said, your bill's been paid. Grace paid the bill today. And it wasn't so much that Michelle paid our bill. The thing that concerned me was, like, I would never even think of doing that. You know, I'm like, where does that come from? Where does that come from that somebody who probably doesn't have the resources to do it, I've got an expense account. I can pay for Wesley from my expense account. It's no skin off my back and she pays. I just walked the Appalachian Trail. Not the whole thing, okay? Just, uh, <laughs> I mean, that would be so. I walked from New York to Vermont, to Vermont. And, and in Dalton, Massachusetts, there's a guy whose name is in the guidebook that says anybody who wants to stay at his house can stay at his house. His name's Tom. And, and Tom has had 30 tents in the back of his yard. I stayed on his porch, sheltered from the rain. And, and I just said, this is beautiful. You know, this guy opens up his house to any traveler that's going by. That's generosity. That's, that's a, a culture of grace that, that's beautiful, and, and I've got to tell you, because I was sitting down and I was talking to Tom at a picnic table right by his house, which he has for campers, and a woman came running, like she was so excited, she came running around the fence, and she sat down and she said, she said, I've got this uh, extra pan of lasagna that was left over from dinner, I made two pans, do you want some? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and over came this beautiful plate of lasagna, and asparagus, and I ate well that night. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Uh, how do we get there? How do we start living in to a life of generosity? And I, I think Paul shows us three things in this, in this letter that I'd like to, to, to focus on. And, and the first one is, uh, is to recognize our need for grace. The, the second one is uh, to recognize our need to grow in generosity. Because the thing I want you to take from this today is this is a spiritual discipline. And, and the third one, the third one there is recognizing the grace that's been given to you. Okay? Those are three. The first one, recognizing the need for grace. Paul uses that word grace eight times in, in this section. I mean, it's grace. The charis is the Greek word, and it's used for offering here. But he starts by saying, I want you to know about the grace that has been given to the church in Macedonia. You know, you see that there up on the screen? That he starts by talking about the grace, and he starts by saying, from their extreme poverty, they have been extremely generous. This is a community outside of the chosen ones of the Jews. This is a community that was poor, that was broken, that was being persecuted. 
And they saw in the opportunity to give generously a reflection of the grace that has been shown to them. I think there's something here that Paul is drawing us to. It's what Jesus, I don't know if you remember a story, but there's a story with Simon the leper who was a Pharisee. And Jesus came to his house, and, and Simon did nothing to prepare the place for Jesus. He didn't wash Jesus' feet. He didn't care for him. But this woman of ill repute, a sinner that everybody knew from the town, came, poured oil on his feet, cleaned his feet with her hair and her tears. And everybody said, if Jesus knew the woman that was ministering to him right now, he would have known that she was a sinner. And Jesus says, Simon, come here. Let me tell you something. I came into your house. None of this was prepared for me. But this woman has, has done a great service here, a ministry to me here, that she has shown me what it's like to love. And, and Jesus tells a story. And, and the summation of the story is that those who've been forgiven much love much. I think that's a contrast to our culture. Some more old illustrations, if you will. Anybody remember Frank Sinatra? Yeah? Okay. Hillary, do you know Frank Sinatra? Okay. I'm going to pick on my daughter. She's always been picked on. You know, when you're a minister's kid, when you're a preacher's kid, you always get called out in the sermons. But uh, Frank Sinatra, what's his signature song? I did it my way. I did it my way. That's the American way. You know, it's on, on, on my way. It's not about grace. It's not about grace. Or, or here's an old one, too. E.F. Hutton. Anybody remember those E.F. Hutton commercials? Uh, John Gilgood, I think, was the name of the actor that said, we make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. Oh, good. I love this congregation. I mean, you, you are a beautiful congregation. I love the fact that you've got age and youth. I won't pick out age, and I won't point to youth, but it's beautiful. So, but I think that's kind of the way that our culture wires us. But there, there are other cultures, there are other people that understand the grace of God coming to them when they have nothing. Perhaps you've heard the line, all you need is God. You, find, you discover all you need is God when God is all you have. You hear that? And, 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 and some of you may be there today, I don't know. But, but, but when you know that your security is not in your 401 K, even though our money may say in God we trust, so much of our trust is on our resources. But when you've been broken down, when you've been battered, you understand that it's not how much money you have, but you understand the grace that God has given you that shapes your life and transforms you. Proverbs talks about this. It says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. And that's what comes. That what comes when generosity starts to be the mantra that moves us to give of our money, our time, our talents. So this truth about generosity comes like when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. He's got nine fruits, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness, generosity, generosity. So, so while when we talk about the spiritual gifts, we'll talk about those that have the gift of giving that are able strategically to leverage resources, but the call to generosity is a call 
that's given to everyone who's a follower of Christ. That's the way we should be known. Um, one of the things that's interesting, I've got a quote up here from a Psychology Today article um, that, that says, for decades, surveys have shown that upper-income Americans are particularly undistinguished as givers when compared with the poor. Lower-income Americans give proportionally more of their incomes to charity than do upper-income Americans. Did you realize that? You know, what Paul's saying about the Macedonian church is something that, that psychology today says about those who maybe don't have the same resources. When we grab on, we lose. When we open up, we gain. That's something uh, Christian Smith wrote this uh, book that it's called, um, let me get it here today. Uh, Christian Smith wrote this book, Giving We Receive, Grasping We Lose. He said, varieties of kinds of practices of generosity are positively and significantly in so, in, associated with five important good life outcomes. Giving money, volunteering, being relationally generous, being a generous neighbor and a friend, and personally valuing the importance of being a generous person are all significantly, positively correlated with greater personal happiness, physical health, a stronger sense of purpose in life, avoidance of systems, symptoms of depression, and a greater interest in personal growth. Anybody want to sign up for that course? Yeah, yeah. He's saying it's not just good, it's good for you. So that's the first thing, recognizing our need for grace, breaking down some of those barriers we have to moving that. The second thing, recognizing our need to grow in generosity. Paul says something very interesting here. I love when he says, um, now as you've excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. Um, we probably know, like, who are the faithful worshipers in this church? If I was playing a game, a fun game, I'd say, okay, on the count of three, everybody point to the most faithful worshiper in the church, and you'd probably be able to point to that person. Um, on the count of three, point to the person who's got the most gifts for singing in this church. You'd probably be able to point to that person. Um, if I said on the count of three, point to the person who's the most generous giver to this church, would you be able to point to that person? Probably not. We, we keep that secret, don't we? You know, we may talk a lot of things about our spiritual life, um, but we don't talk with each other about our giving. We're not challenged to discipline ourselves in giving. I, I remember when I started off in ministry, a guy who was involved in stewardship in the church, Roland Ackerman, he came to me and he talked about this. And he said, you know, um, I was talking to an elder in our church the other day. And I said, so how's your prayer life going? And he gave me the story of his prayer life. He said, how's your devotional life going? You know, he gave me the story of his devotional life. How's your worship life going? He gave me the story of his worship life. He said, how's your giving life going? And he said, none of your damn business. 
Isn't that the way it is? You know, we don't want to recognize that this is a call to spiritual discipline as well. So we're reminded about that, and, and, and Martin Luther picks us up. Um, he talks about three conversions. He says there's a, there's a conversion of the head, and there's a conversion of the heart, and there's a conversion of the pocketbook. And he says, unfortunately, we don't go through those at the same time. So how you doing? The head, the heart, the pocketbook. Can I get an amen to that? It's a discipline. It's a discipline. So, so the challenge is to think about the ways that you need to grow, as Peter says, in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. So growing in grace is growing in generosity. And then finally, um, the verse that, that John quoted in the prayer because Paul really puts this all in the context of the grace that has been shown them through Jesus Christ, the model of Christ. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. If you don't recognize the grace that is all around you, you will never reflect that generosity that springs from the life of God. The, the story that Paul picks up is from the manna in the wilderness. He said, those that tried to grab a lot didn't have any excess. Those that grabbed a little didn't have any want. There's a sense in God's manna coming down from heaven as grace, that it's something to be received, received not to hoard and to grab, but to receive in thanksgiving grace and generosity. So opening up our hands is a reflection of the grace that we received. Isn't that true? Isn't that true that people that have been touched by grace and recognize the power of that open up their lives to share that grace with others and certainly see that grace all around us. I mean, you, you wake up in the morning and you're breathing and the sun is shining. You didn't control that. That's grace that gave you that today. Um, in the play Les Miserables, that's kind of contemporary, right? I actually, I feel better about that illustration because a guy was walking through San Diego Airport or uh, San Francisco Airport yesterday with a book, Les Miserables. So I said, that's a sign from God that this. <laughs> but you know the story, I think, that uh, Jean Valjean is in the house of the bishop after he comes out of prison. And um, he grabs, grabs the silver and he steals out at night. And he's brought back, he's caught, and the gendarmes bring him back to the bishop's house. And um, the, the servant who's working there reports this to the bishop. And the bishop says, it wasn't ours to lose. And when the gendarmes come back, here's what he says. Ah, here you are, he exclaimed, looking at Jean Valjean. I'm glad to see you. Well, but how is this? I gave you the candlesticks too, which are of silver like the rest, and for which you can certainly get 200 francs. Why did you not carry them away with your forks and spoons? 
the bishop, showing God's grace to this criminal, doesn't pronounce judgment but forgiveness, and grace is beyond not getting what we deserve, but more than we ever expected. You can write that one down, all right? And that's what Jean Valjean receives that day. And if you know the story, the rest of his life is living into the grace of that one moment that defined him there. And the rest of the story that Victor Hugo writes is a story of one whose life is transformed by grace and he goes to help the poor and justice. All those things come from that moment of grace. So Paul says, you know the grace that you've received from Jesus Christ, the one who became poor so that you might become rich. That's the moment that in this room, if you have not received that grace and understand what flows from that today, I invite you to that moment right now. It's a Jean Valjean moment to say thank you. And, and the rest of our lives, I mean, it starts today, folks, when we walk out that door. The rest of our lives are to reflect the generosity and the grace that we've seen in Jesus Christ. Oh, man, it was so much fun for me to baptize William up here, that young little boy, and to proclaim the promises of grace. And, and in our tradition, we baptize infants, and I understand good reason to do believer's baptism, and I understand all that. But today, what I want you to hold on to is the picture of that grace, that William was called beloved of God before he was able to do anything to claim it and said, I did it my way. I earned it. He was called beloved of God from this baptismal font here. And that is the definition of his life from that moment on. And and it may be scandalous to some, but, but if you're a grandparent, do we have any grandparents here? Okay, my last illustration. If you're a grandparent, you understand that because William has the grace of his grandma and his grandpa. Before that baby came out of the womb, before there was anything that he did, and every moment that I'm able to be with him is a gift of grace to me, and I pray a gift of grace for him. Not to say, William, earn this favor you received from your grandparents. That'd be crazy, right? But to live into the grace that has already been shown you. So that's the message for today as we start this, a, a call to generosity. Now, I want you to think about three things. I want you to think about one. These are in your small group questions when you get there. But, but, but the first one we've, we've, we've talked about in people that I've experienced, who has represented that generosity to you? Think about how and why. And maybe for you to say thank you to that person this week. If they've gone on to glory, this is All Saints Day, maybe you say thank you to them in heaven, you know, for that work. But if they're alive, to, to just take a moment to, to say thank you. Thank you for the generosity. I wrote that guy, Tom, on the AT, a thank you note. I don't know how many thank you notes he gets, but I said thank you. That's amazing that you open up your house like that. Secondly, I want you to think about um, the ways, let's go to that second question there, the ways that, that you need to grow in this grace yourself. Consider some 
Oh, no, it's actually up here on the first question. We've all been given resources of time, money, and giftedness. In what area would you most like to grow in being more generous to others? Do some work with that today. And then finally, this question, the third question. You don't have a third question for me? The third question is, is, is put some feet to this. Like when you walk out there today, find some way that you can act in a generous manner or find some person that, um, that is, is longing to live into your generosity this, this week. I, I just pray that many years from now, you know, when somebody thinks of you, they don't think of Jack Benny <laughs> trying to hold on, but they think, they think of one who's opened up and given life, given life to another, been generous. It is your money or your life. And Jesus says that to us as a grace-filled call to understand what it means to be fully human and fully alive. And as he gave, so too are we invited to give. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord for the generosity that you've shown us in Jesus Christ. The grace that we have seen is not doing it our way on our own, but it's receiving that grace in the fullness of time that you've given us in Christ. And we pray, Lord, that, that our lives reflect that generosity in the way we live, not holding on, but letting go, giving life and sharing in the way that things have been shared with us. And we thank you that in this morning, and I pray everybody in this room knows this, that, that you have called us beloved. You have called us beloved. And in our baptism, you remind us that there's nothing that we can do to make you love us more. And there's nothing that we can do to make you love us less, Lord. That grace is given to us. We are just invited to live into that today. Let that be true for each of us. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.